This is Coda Radio, episode 59 for July 22nd, 2013. You're listening to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our fine sponsor, GoDaddy.com. I'll tell you more about GoDaddy as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us live on this Monday morning is our excellent host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Well, hello there, Mr. Michael and his beagle. <laughs> hello, Chris. And yes, the, the dog is very upset. <laughs> I know, uh, the dog's had a rough couple of days. It's been a tough weekend for that dog. Well, well my, my dog is running a number of web object servers, and uh, it's just not going great for him. <laughs> now, I bet he's had some concerned uh, dog clients this week. Yes, yeah, some puppy clients are incredibly upset. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. if you guys haven't heard the news, uh, over the weekend it was confirmed that the Apple Developer Center was hacked, and uh, that kind of made it for an interesting weekend for our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. So oh, I've- it's not just the weekend. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I imagine it's going to be a bad week for you. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, aren't we? I'm, I'm pretty sure by the end of this week I will be employed as a uh, Azure evangelist for Microsoft. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of just hanging it up. Oh, I no. just can't take it anymore. Just constant complaints. Like, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Man. That's rough. And you know, I, I think uh, I think the uh, the news is in too. Uh, Azure is totally it's negative in the freedom dimension yes but it's but it's still up this is what they've driven you to this is what you you've been driven to this so uh, i think we'll have an interesting discussion around that and sort of the implications of all of that i know we're also maybe going to talk a little firefox os today if there's time and this morning canonical announced the crowdfunding for the ubuntu edge phone oh goody a lot of really wild stuff going on but as always here on the quarter radio program we like to start with a good helping of hearty feedback to complete the feedback cycle the feedback loop, as it were. And I want to remind folks that next week, it's going to be Coda Radio episode 60. And assuming my wife doesn't have a baby before the show starts, we're going to do a call-in episode. So you guys have to, you have to show up live next Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, over at jblive.tv and call in. We've gotten people that say, you need more web talk. You know what? This is your opportunity to call in and, and bring that discussion. Yeah, and preferably not about web objects. But why don't we start with... Uh, some of the feedback, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, where where so, do we begin uh, this week? So, yeah, we had made a comment last week about uh, crypto being constantly broken, and a number of uh, listeners correctly wrote in saying that, well, it's not really true, right? But the problem is, and only one person who wrote in recognized this, and, and that would be Anthony, is that if it's too hard to use or you need to be an IT expert to do it, it, it is broken. It's effectively broken, right? Because most people using it are using it incorrectly. They're not getting the theoretical security. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to pull a Steve Jobs here and say, if it's too hard to use, normal people can't use it. It might as well not exist. It's broken. So <clears throat> I think that's a pretty. I think you can make a pretty. I think you can make a good right. case for that. So we were talking particularly about Gmail, right? If you have to do anything to encrypt your email, it's broken. It should just be silent in the background. Yeah, 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 and there are extensions to you know to make it a little easier. Uh, envelopes. Most people, most people don't even know how to install extensions. Yeah. Right? right, it just right. needs to be one hundred percent silent. 
Yeah, uh, this is and, you know, there there uh, there is really no incentive for Google to do that because and I'm not I mean, I don't I don't mean to this. I'm not trying to be a conspiratorial here, conspiratorial here. But remember, they do make their money from analyzing that email and then generating ads around it. So if everything's encrypted, that's not really going to make them any money. Don't you think? I mean, don't you think it's kind of. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I'm also confident that if you you did start an encrypted, properly encrypted email service, you would be subpoenaed into the ground. Yeah. That's why, I mean, I know I talk about a lot in our other shows, so people are probably a little sick of me talking about it. But one of the things I'm liking a lot about BitMessage is that there's no central service provider. And it's essentially all the functionality of email without an email server. And it's exactly. encrypted. It's encrypted from the first keystroke and it's never, it's never not encrypted. Um, and that's, I think, um, I think all of this prism crap and all of this stuff is going to sort of ignite a new generation of apps that are designed to be a little more distributed, to be a little more, um, resilient. I, I hope that's true, but they're going to have to be just as simple as their, you know, non-distributed counterpart. Yeah, yeah, that is right, the hard part right. is being accessible and 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 yeah. the mass marketing and and. Uh, uh, so once you ask someone to generate a private key, you've already gone off track, right? You've already lost. What do you do? And what can I mean? You know, the only thing you can do is people that. Uh, when you can auto generate keys, I mean, there, there are ways around it, but it's never. Well, look how Apple supposedly does iMessage. That supposedly each end has an encrypted key that the person never even knows they've set up, right? Supposedly, iMessage takes care of all of that for you. That's pretty seamless. That's the kind of system I would be advocating. Yeah, but it has a lot of centralized control. Um, Yeah, well, all right. So so Mike says it's not broken. You say it is. Yeah, I definitely say it's broken. Yeah, all right. Oh, Mike is, yeah, okay, I see. All right, so Patrick writes, and you want me to read Patrick's email? Do it. All right, now Patrick's in a long one, so let me load it up here so that way I can show it to you guys on the stream, too. Um, we got a lot of great emails this week, too, and we got some good feedback in the uh, subreddit as well at coderadio.reddit.com. All right, let me uh, pull up uh, Patrick's email here and a little more feedback on the uh, <clears throat> H1 visas. Hopefully uh, the audience isn't too burned out on talking about this. It seems like it's been generating some interest, but here we go. He says, uh, I know the topic is several weeks old, maybe more, but I would like to comment on the H-1B visas. I worked in the legal office of a software company a few years back, and much of our work was processing immigration for employees. This company hired foreigners for 12 to $14 an hour to work at their help desk and eventually moved them into development. These new hires all possessed PhDs in mathematics, physics, or engineering. The reason the company could offer such low wages is because they could dangle a green card and eventual citizenship in front of these people. This major, this was the major component of their compensation package. We did not interview Americans as we knew there was no way they would take the position. My take is that the situation suppresses the number of Americans who can get into so-called STEM areas, who in their right mind is going, who in their right mind is going to get a PhD in physics for a 12-hour job and ha- and have to work till midnight. I can go to work in a Home Depot right out of high school and be earning more than that. I know there is a shortage of highly educated people, but we should let the free market work. If we want highly educated foreigners, then we should give them their green card before they even have a job, not allow corporations' ability to sell American citizenship in order to keep wages low. On another note, keep up the great work with Coder Radio. I'm part of, I'm a part-time sysadmin, but this is my favorite show. I now understand why so much of the software I support is less than perfect. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> that's a great email, Patrick. <laughs> uh, you know, that's an interesting thing, too, because remember, 
I think it was a week or two ago, I was complaining that it seems funny that uh, some of these positions have like requirements to have a degree in a certain area. And if you right. don't, if you don't even have the degree, that's where the conversation ends. And it's, it's, it, it felt like a arbitrary requirement when you are also, if you could be talking to somebody who maybe has 10, 14, 15 years of job experience would obviously be extremely more so qualified than the person who just has the degree. And yet they will dismiss the person with 15 years of experience and go after the person with the degree. And I wonder if it's because the people are there, they're coming into the country, they have these degrees. So if they, if they make this one of the artificial reasons for some of these positions, then it automatically disqualifies some of the American candidates. Well, I think it's really about money, right? It's, you know, he's absolutely right, Patrick, is that they can pay these foreigners very little, but it's also about downward price pressure on the domestic economy. So, for instance, I, you know, I have a certain level that I feel that I need to make a year, right? And that's relatively high. Now, if I got a master's degree, I would probably double that because you need a return on the $50,000 you spent on a degree, right? Right. So it's there are there are two ways to approach the problem. Patrick seems to be approaching it from the you know, these foreigners are being taken advantage of, which is the way I approached it last week too. But there is also a large problem of you know, it's falsely deflating the economy, right? Or the uh, salaries of uh, IT workers. So there's a reason it's illegal and Apple got in trouble for it, colluding with other companies to fix salaries. And to not poach employees, right? That's explicitly against the law. Um, but Apple and HP and Microsoft were doing it, and they got in trouble with the Fed. Mm-hmm. And the seems night, like, it seems the like night, the yeah. worst possible time for our economy to be doing this too. Like exactly, it's just yeah. it, it is. You have a really, 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 really bad situation, and then at the same time, you have people taking steps that are just making it worse and it's happening at all different levels in the economy and this is one of the foundational ones this is kind of a big one i think and i've noticed that this happens slowly with particularly with startups that they you know first they they don't want to hire foreigners but then they hire one and they rationalize it and then they start laying off the american employees or the canadian employees in the case i'm thinking of because they were a canadian company it's just interesting how it's it starts in a non-harmful scenario, and then it quickly goes to well, if we fire all our local Canadians, we can hire two, you know, from overseas. Where, where do you draw the line? Them. Because you pretty you're pretty quickly going down the path of no foreigners, we only hire people within the country. Well, that doesn't I, I seem think, like a good business move. I mean, not to get too much into unfiltered territory, my solution would be a fine for each foreigner you hire, and a law that mandates that you not pay them less than you pay the Americans and that they can only work eight hours a day. Right. So I would impose what are effectively union hours on foreigners so that there is no economic incentive to do that. Because hmm. um, the problem is. It sounds, you know, like, it sounds like a lot of administrative overhead. Well, the problem is eventually it becomes just so much cheaper um, especially when, you know, if a company is looking for funding and they want to make that P&L look as good as possible, um, it, it gets a little weird, right? Yeah, that is an interesting element where they where when they're trying when they're trying to get VC funding, they if they there's and there's another level of incentive there to have these yeah. employees that are cheaper. Yeah, it's <sighs> well, hmm. I mean, I don't know in general, and this is 
a little political. I'm fairly protectionist in my beliefs. I I think tariffs would be a fantastic idea, just not on on everything, right? Not just labor. Um, but this case, certainly the the use of these visas to force you know twelve hour days and twelve dollars an hour is is almost certainly exploitive, right? There seems to be some need for some sort of intervention. Hmm. Because if, you know, the whole idea of a free market is level competition, well, that's not level competition anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of the deck is kind of uh, stacked. Stacked, yeah. (sighs) All right, well, interesting dialogue that continues. My thoughts continue to evolve on it every time we talk about it. It's interesting, still, the the audience feedback has been fairly in line with me up to the point of tariffs. It's interesting. We have a very anti-tax uh, set on the Coder Radio crowd. Welcome to America. <laughs> well, I don't like taxes, but yeah. I'm just saying like... <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> I mean, tariffs would solve this problem. <laughs> like 50% tariff on foreign salaries. Done. Right. I mean, they definitely... Like, that's it. You can lead these companies around by the money. That's for sure. I mean, it's all about, it's all about the that's bottom line. That's why they're doing it in the first place. Yeah. It's a money problem. You can solve it with red ink. It is so funny how these companies can sort of undermine their overall long-term best interests by sort of uh, these actions. And you have to wonder, what's their long-term game plan? Is their long-term game plan eventually just to move to some other country and milk them until you know they've done it over there? So what I've noticed, particularly in the startup world, is that the, the biz dev people are Americans. And they start with an all-American all or all-Canadian or all-British team. And most might clients are Americans, British, and Canadian in that order. And they slowly but surely, as people resign or leave, right. don't replace them with people of the same nationality. Well, they also probably, as they grow, become more of more than just an American company. They, maybe they have an office in Ireland. Maybe they've got... So no offices. That's what I've been noticing. I've oh, been really? noticing it's, it's just... Just hiring them. How are they finding but the, them? The people who are the public faces, they kind of keep the foreigners as a little bit of a secret. Right, you would need to audit the books to realize that this software wasn't made where it said it was made. Yeah, I've definitely had clients where uh, they've got they've got they've got people in house. They've got a, they've got you know tons of employees in house, but then they've also got sort of this offsite little group that does some of the work that they don't really talk about it very much. I mean, I had one client in particular who liked to play the Made in London card really hard, when in fact the front end was done in New Jersey by me, <laughs> and the back end was done in I believe Russia. In this case, you were the out-of-country uh, foreign worker. Right, exactly. And, and why didn't they want to hire local British workers? They were very honest. Taxes. <laughs> nope. It's, yeah, so I, I'm just saying I, I don't think it's purely an American problem. Right, oh, and absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, in fact, I think it's a little worse over my understanding from uh, UK context, it's a bit worse over in England. Hmm. That's too bad. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, uh, Kyle wrote in and he was inspired by all of our tomato talk and he wrote a really nice web app. Yeah, I was playing with this this morning. It's really nice. This is a pretty simple uh, Pomodoro timer. Uh, you go to a site there and you say, I want a short, you know, and you can start the little countdown. And I guess you would just leave this in a tab, maybe, right? And then come back to it. And yep. then, well, that's cool. Oh, and it's, the other nice thing is it puts the countdown, looks like, up in the... Oh, it did just for a second put it up in the tab, but then it stopped. I like this. Very nice. Like it very clean. And it also supports keyboard shortcuts. 
So we'll have that linked in the show notes if you guys want to try the Pomodoro technique and you want something quick without even having to install it. You can just throw this in your bookmarks. Bob's your uncle. Whoops. Ready, when, ready to time when you are. Uh, all right. Carrie wrote in. Carrie, as, Carrie a guy. He Carrie, who's sure, a dude. He wanted to be sure we Let's mentioned Just that. make sure we get that straight this time. Yeah. Nobody make that mistake. That would have been. It's very upset. That would have been not a big deal at all. And nobody would have cared. <laughs> All right. So Kyle, I just, I'm sorry, Carrie. Carrie writes in, in defense of Apple. How about that? How, how often do we get that? Bastard. Yeah. Uh, so he writes in and he says, uh, hi, guys. Love the show. I'm messaging you today. Oh, I like this. I like this. Not, not emailing. He's messaging us. Messaging. Uh, in defense of Apple. First, the NDA and the secrecy of the process of moving to iOS is totally necessary because they because the general public really cannot handle betas. And the fact that it's just part of Apple's image as being the high-fashion brand of the computer's market. I know things get leaked, but there are mostly things that Apple wants leaked and not in the beta bugs that the world... Uh, and not the beta bugs that would drive the general public crazy. It is especially needed in this version of iOS, which is probably their biggest change ever. When it comes to Snapchat, remember we were talking about how Apple kind of removed that Snapchat screenshot um, prevention block thing? Right, Yes. Um, he says, uh, I think it's totally reasonable for Apple to allow screenshots anywhere. If your security model is based off not allowing a user to do something like take a snapshot, then it's just a terrible, then that's just terrible. A person could easily take a photo with another camera. If Apple is aware of this, then I think they made the right decision. They need to force Snapchat to adopt better security practices. I think it's been shown in the past that usually when Apple forces developers to better, to be better, then Apple goes gets and Apple gets their way, it benefits everyone and end users greatly. Anyways, love the show. Especially you, Michael. I'm Carrie, the guy. Well, thank you, Carrie. It's unfortunate that you're totally wrong. Oh! Wow. Uh, so, well, okay, let's back so, up on so, the NDA so, thing. Maybe he's well, right. Maybe Apple needs to protect their luxury okay. brand. Let's do the Snapchat thing first, because okay. that's a much simpler discussion. All right. Uh, you could always do screenshots. There used to be a warning. Uh, UI device will take screenshot or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That would warn apps because of banking. The idea was, you know, if you're in your Bank of America app, you don't want something accidentally taking a screenshot, right, of your account numbers or anything like that. That notification, to my knowledge, hasn't been deprecated. It just doesn't work anymore. And that's what Snapchat used to warn folks that screenshots may be taken. Now, I have a different point of view. I don't think Snapchat should have been allowed in the store, and I think it should be pulled. What? Why? All the shit that Apple finds inappropriate. And they allow this. And well, Snapchat this isn't designed is specifically for this. It's just how the users depend. Oh, come on. It, just like BitTorrent's not designed for piracy. You know, uh, you know what I think the bigger scandal is with Snapchat? Is it's being used on Wall Street for insider trading. Now that's clever. Yeah, because there's no record, right? So they Snapchat each other things. They don't say anything. They just take a picture or maybe something like that. They send it to the guy. He makes the trade, and then it's immediately removed. And the user the user that sent it has guarantees that it's removed because they set the timer. So that's what we talk about. We talk about sexting. But the reality is that's probably the most egregious abuse of Snapchat. Right. Well, I'm more worried about children, obviously. Of course. You've got to protect the children. Well, given, I mean, look at the way they brand and market Snapchat. You can't tell me that's not aimed at children. Right. Well, of course it is. That's why Facebook made, uh, would they, they poke? They uh, made poke yeah. for that because it's the same thing. I mean, the feds, you love to raid buildings. I have one in California you could raid. 
I think you're too grumpy. I mean, I think like, what if you were? Because because I think it, no, it's dishonest of the executives of Snapchat to pretend to say that it's being used not for child pornography for legitimate purposes. I mean, really, it, it, they know they have to know, and they're just willfully ignoring it. Well, I'll put it. Let me let me suggest this. I mean, like, so kids are still going to send pictures of each other to each other. So maybe it's better that there's done over service where there's no storage of it. Uh, except now that the only safeguard that was there is now gone. Right. But if they were using and email Android, or and, MMS, then it would be sitting on not, servers It's somewhere. not safe, though, because on Android, there's already a known exploit. There are, in fact, apps you can download on Android that undo. Oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying it's not breakable, of course. What, what I'm saying is it's not architected so that those pictures are sitting on some server somewhere. That's sort of a key differentiator, right? Because if you're using any other service, those those images, those pictures that those two kids sent to each other would sit on some file server somewhere or some mail server somewhere. And, and at least with Snapchat, that doesn't happen. I'm not saying it's good. Just mentioning that. I, you know, I just feel like when you have a business that's so obviously used for crime, where your main clientele is a crime, I mean, doesn't that warrant some scrutiny? I suppose, but I think you could maybe make that same argument towards iMessage because iMessage is encrypted and private, person to person. Maybe you could. I mean, maybe. Where do you draw I, the line? I think I think there's a difference between stopping surveillance and, you know, actively marketing kids to do criminal activity. I agree with you on the marketing aspect. There's. I mean, really if they no did not market it towards children, yeah. I would have less of a problem. They should market it towards Wall Street. I hear there's Listen, big money there. They should have a, add a stock ticker <laughs> to the bottom. <laughs> And I mean, if you if you work at Snapchat and, and, and don't think that's what it's being used for, um, you're an idiot, basically, right? I mean, how many times has this come up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're I like a the stock ticker idea. I think that's like they could have Snapchat professional, and it's it's a dollar ninety nine in the app store, and it includes the stock ticker. <laughs> I would listen. I don't care about insider training. I am down with that. <laughs> I, I, it's the other stuff that mm. bothers me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, Chris, I'll meet you in New York. We have some. Uh, some trainings to discuss. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, well, so there you go. So, uh, Carrie, I hope, uh, I hope, uh, oh, what well, the, oh, the, the NDA thing. So I don't think it matters, right? Because all you have to do is pay $99 and get, and get access to everything. Right. It's the weakest NDA Unless, ever. of course, WebObjects dies. Then everybody's screwed. But beyond that, oh. I, I think it's less about branding yeah, maybe it could be. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's about burning. I just, I just I think, think it's... it must be right because it does sort of like. So the first thing it does is it sets this this chilling effect on too much talking. The second thing it does is whenever there is a problem, everybody says, "Well, that's a bug, and it's and it's under NDA. You probably shouldn't be talking about that." Like that's immediately what people say. And then so what you do get is like, "Here's the new icons. Here's the new theme. Here's the new parallax background." Like that's yeah. what you end up hearing about because. That's the stuff that doesn't get you in trouble. So what it does is it essentially gives Apple this valve where they can let some stuff vent out. Then it's usually only mostly the majority of it is positive stuff. And then the moment well, it, the negative it, stuff starts leaking, they just clamp that valve down. They go shut that well, person's it's, access it's, off. You know, the people that they allow to talk or the people they know won't hurt them, right? Yeah. I mean, we kind of got into this the other week where the NDA, though states the same for everybody, is definitely different depending on who you are. Yeah. Yep. Which reminds me, after I bitched about them taking 30 days for them to review everything, all my stuff got approved that day. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, yeah. maybe we should do that more often. Just yell at them all. No, right now they're busy. I totally sympathize. Yeah. All right, well, David writes in. He says he's working on a project for a school system and thought the law does not require that he encrypt data itself in the database. 
so it's not human readable. He wonders if he should anyway. Well, he doesn't say what no. he doesn't say what the data was. It's like student personal data names, addresses, things like that. The answer is no, um, because if you were given a spec to do something and leave it as plain text, there's probably a reason. There's probably some other system that needs to tie into it that can't decrypt whatever encryption you. Now use. that is pretty common in school districts where yeah. you have a bunch of programs that read another program's database to pull stuff together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we'd like for it to be encrypted, I suppose, but yeah, if there's application compatibility, it's busted. There is there is such a thing as you know, certain things just aren't important, right? Well, names and addresses and stuff. Names and addresses, yeah. I guess that's not too hard to find in public records, really. Most of it is a public record. I, I yeah. just... I, the risk is if you take it upon yourself and start encrypting things without an order. Now, what if it has you, things like social security numbers in there, you know, all that kind of stuff? Maybe well, that, well, then he needs to bring it up to the yeah, client, that's what right? I was going to say, yep. But he can't just do it because if he just does it, yeah. and it yeah. technically is breaking the spec. So he could actually not be paid for his work because he will have not followed the spec get it out of here as rms says get it out of here all you have to do is write a nice letter saying this is all in plain text as per your request but this is not secure you know i wash my hands of it kind of thing just uh yeah that's good advice mr dominic it's good advice okay Uh, i like that so um now we get to maddie's email and uh, maddie writes into the show at Coda Radio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. He says, I'm wondering if you guys could talk about quote-unquote environments. These days, I'm finding myself working with multiple environments and stacks more and more. I'm switching to provisioning environments in a VM on EC2, and then I SSH into that environment to work either through an IDE or with the best light text editor ever. Bam! Boom! I'm really in the process of learning the most effective way to do this now. Each time I set up an environment for the first time, I take notes by creating a shell script that mimics what I'm doing. This creates creating another. This makes creating another VM in the future much easier. I'd prefer not to have to do this, as it's a bit of a pain in the butt. But the alternative is to pollute my computer. Thoughts, best practices? Question marks. Oh, uh, so he wants to try out a bunch of different environments without messing up his main rig. I would just go with VMs. Yeah, I wonder why EC2 though. I mean, why not just local uh, VMs and VMware yeah, virtual? I would just just do local VMs and be done with it. And the reason I say that is because then it's much easier. Like inside VirtualBox, for example, you get a machine set up the way you like it. A, you can snapshot it. Not that you can't snapshot on EC2, but it's you know much easier and quicker locally. And then you can clone it. And then you can just always clone that machine every time you want. Well, and there's no uh, there's no network latency either. And no 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 runtime charge. Yeah. No, I would I would definitely just go with local VMs. If um. You can. Uh, I was going to say, you know, if he's on Linux, there's containers that make this really super easy. Um, you know, but yeah, honestly, Maddie, I think virtualization is a great way to go, especially as you're trying things out. But I don't know if I would recommend cloud virtualization unless you specifically want to throw people at it. That might be the only time where I'd say put, put it up in EC2s if you have a group of people that are, you're testing with, uh, you know, something like that. that then, it, then it's worth throwing it up on a public service like that. All right, Chris writes in, and he asks if we believe the devs who focus on languages that are run by corporations are hurting their careers in the long term. This was a strange one. Um, I would just say no. Historically not, right? Uh, So the Java people are doing just fine. So are the C-sharp guys. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't... It seems like maybe you're more employable if it's not tied to a specific company. Do you think? I, I don't even only, think that's. I don't no, even think okay. that's true. I yeah. mean, the, the two big examples are Java and C Sharp, and they. I mean, it's not hard to find a Java job or a C Sharp job. You might not make as much as say a C or an Objective C developer, but. And I guess you know. your definition of long term, 
very well, Java has been. I mean, yeah. Oh no, the Java's I mean, long-term. come on, yeah. it's ten years. No, no. Yeah, I'm. Sorry, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. All right. Well, I- Isaac ri- writes in. It sounds like he's working on a game. Ooh, ooh, that sounds interesting. Let's take a look at what Isaac says. He says, "Oh, but he's uh, not submitting it today." <laughs> oh, ouch. Hey guys, love the show. Keep it up. I'm writing in because I'm working on a game that will work on desktops and touch devices. I want to make it so that. You only have to buy it once from my website to be able to access the full game on every platform you sync your saved games to my server from. I was wondering if there's anything in the Android or iOS terms that that prevent me from doing this. As examples, Joe downloads the client, maybe plays for a little bit, especially the demo content. He then decides he wants to purchase the full game. So So he either goes to my website and logs in. Or he buys and then buys the game there and then logs inside the game on his device and downloads the rest of the game in app. Either that or he simply goes the whole same process in app without ever leaving the app, not going to his site. After that, there wouldn't be any DRM restrictions that could log in and play anything anywhere. Um, he says you'd have to have an account, though, if you want to sync in the cloud. He says that it seems to make things a bit tricky about this is I do- that I don't believe iOS allows me to use a scripting language. So it's very difficult to download the rest of the game if it's yep. written in the same programming language. Oh, yeah, this is pretty common, though, in Android. So, so you, have, uh, you have two problems here. Yeah. Uh, one on iOS, you would have to run the purchase through in-app purchase, and even then, this is a very questionable purchase. Right. Um, you, with that alone, you run the risk of being rejected on every submission and every update, and having to explain yourself, and you know, potentially taking months or weeks to to get a submission. Second part of this is you cannot download and run code to an iOS app. Period. Doesn't matter if it's in Perl or Lua or anything like that. You just can't do it. So you would have to have all the code in there or updated via the App Store mechanism. You could download flat graphics assets, right? Or audio files. Which is what a lot of games do on iOS. They you know, the game's less than fifty megs, and then you download the rest of the graphics. Yeah. <laughs> For what you are describing you it, it's going to be really touchy to get past apple. Hmm. And the other thing it seems like p- possible when when a big portion of your app is based on uh, uh in-app purchase and then downloading, it seems like you could be just going through like a regular update review and all of a sudden that reviewer could decide that it doesn't quite fit the guidelines and all of a sudden just reject you even though yeah, you've been so in it, for like a year or something. What will probably end up happening is your your apple version of it will be fragmented, right? So the Android and PC and Mac ones can all kind of work together, but the iOS one will have to be its own thing, which isn't terrible. You could just set up a simple um, user account server. You know, when people buy something in iOS, if you want them to have it in Android, you'll have to send a message to that server and save that. That position that Apple's in is would be so in, uh, untenable if they were not s- sitting in such a position of market dominance. Um, yeah. Like. Just think about this. Like, oh yeah, I can write an app that, that all of the device, all of all of the platforms can talk together on, except for iOS. That sounds ridiculous in 2013. That's ridiculous. This is 2013. The internet exists. There's ways around it. I mean, he'd have to build a second central server just to kind of um, uh, rectify what might have been through the Apple and App Purchase system outside mm-hmm. of his system. If he wants the Android people. So let's say I'm using it on my Nexus 7, which, by the way, my Nexus 7 broke. Yeah, mine too. Mine won't it, even boot it, now. It's just flashing, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've gotten to that point before, 
And what I could do is I could get it to the bootloader and then plug it in and let it charge at the bootloader screen. And then once it was charged, then it could boot into Android. Because the problem is, is it boots all the way up to Android. Android detects you have no battery and it immediately restarts the device. And it just starts in this circle, this loop, and it never gets to the point where it charges. And so your battery just gets worse and worse to the point where it doesn't even boot now. Fantastic. Yeah, because it's a soft charge. So my Nexus 7 is dead. Mine's dead too. Totally dead. It's funny because you mentioned it last week. I guess I didn't plug mine in and sure enough... So frustrating. Like, I like I was my son was enjoying it because he likes the size, and I just got Sonic on there, and he was playing yep. it and left it on or something, and you know that seems like a kid leaving a tablet on is going to happen pretty often. It shouldn't kill the device. Yeah, I mean not for nothing, but the iPad, if it dies all the way, you just plug it in for about an hour, and it it brings itself back. Yeah, I think the problem is the Nexus won't charge unless the software initiates it. If it can't finish, what is it? If it can't finish loading up the Android kernel, it just can't run. Well, it will work at the bootloader too, but like I can't even hold. Like in the past, I could hold down the power button and like the volume button, and then it would boot into the bootloader, and then you could charge it there. But oh, I might have to try that. All right, yeah, you should. If yours just still has a little bit of juice in it, you could probably. Well, mine. I kept trying it last night, so I think I might have killed it all the way. But I know. But for for Isaac's, I mean, he you can get around this with the central server. But it's going to be it's going to be a lot of overhead, and there's going to be weird edge cases. So, and then you have to maintain a central server, right? So that's kind of lame. And you still can't download code; you can only download assets. Um, one thing I've done is kind of set up a generic um, object loader, and then just serialize things as JSON, right? So let's say you're working on a um, I don't know, an RTS, and you have army units, and you just see an army units really just an image and a JSON file, right? You just have a generic class that loads them based on the data in the JSON file. That you can do. But you can't download more code. You can't download Lua. You can't download Objective-C. That sounds like a pretty big restriction. It, 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 for what he wants yeah, to do. It, it, yeah, for what he wants to do, I don't know if that's going to work. But. So then there's literally no way to add more to the game by purchasing no, there is. It's just you have to already have a generic class structure written where you can just read XML or JSON yeah. or something like that. I see. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. Well, let us know how it goes, Isaac. Let us know what what you end up doing, and and if you actually get some shipping code, let us know. We want to. We'll talk about it in the yeah. show. Uh, okay, folks, you can email us coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or if you click the contact link at the top of our website. You can then just choose Coder Radio from the drop down, and your feedback gets to us. You can also start a thread in our subreddit. Over at coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, before we move on to our hoopla of the week, which is strong in the hoopla ways, I want to talk about our sponsor, and that is GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy.com has a couple of great promo codes that I want you guys to go take advantage of. First one, I love talking about this one because I think it's only going to be here until the end of the month, and it's getting close. Coder249. Get you a .com. For $2.49, think about the ways you can use, you want a vanity email address for a project you're working on. You want a specific website, or maybe it's just a redirector to your social network profile on Google Plus or Twitter or about whatever, about.me, whatever you want. You go get that .com for $2.49 and just do something with it. It's super, super great deal. When you're checking out over at GoDaddy, just click that enter promo code and go coder249. Or maybe you're going to get something else. Maybe you want to be fancy. GoDaddy has a ton of really great resources. Things that let you build your own site that actually performs very well on mobile devices. This is very nice for family members or friends. They want to get up and running. 
You send them to this. They're gonna get. They're gonna get themselves set up. It's very easy. My mom does some artwork. I was able to get her up and running using this. No problem. You can get some online storage. You can get fax through email, web based email. All of these things, corporate email, all these kinds of extras. Extras are over at GoDaddy.com. And I've got a code that'll just take you some, get you some money off anything you want. Use Go32 off four. Go32 is. Think about it. I'm gonna go save 32. percent I'm gonna take it off four. Whatever I want. Go32 off four. Go 32 off forward. We'll save you 32% on any new product over at GoDaddy.com. So you got Coder 249 to get a .com for $2.49 and Go 32 off four to save 32% from GoDaddy. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. You know, they they emailed me, Mr. Dominic, and said, we love those developers. Give them something nice. So also toss out free five. That's right. Free private registration with a .com. Free five. You get the free private registration. So thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. <clears throat> so, Apple has a bit of a uh, security issue this week, don't they? Just a bit. Just <laughs> just a touch. So it was, so their actual developer center went down like starting Thursday. It, yeah, it was Thursday afternoon of my time, so it must have been around maybe uh, maybe later. Maybe Thursday. Let's just call it Thursday. I can't remember what time. And, you know, it, it's not terribly uncommon for their developer center to go down for a few hours. Right, you might just think they're uh, updating a few right. pages or something. Or, or even just like, you know, demand, right? Because with, with an iOS beta, a lot of people are in panic oh, mode updating okay. apps. Okay. So it, it's, it's not shocking, especially at the end of the week on a Thursday or a Friday for it to go down ever so slightly. So, you know, I kind of didn't think anything of it. And I kind of just said, oh, whatever, this is down. Because you know, at the time, they didn't put up a, a proper message. It just didn't work, right? Right. That was kind of the weird thing. They went a couple of days without really saying anything. And it kind of looked like, to me at first, oh, so it must just be people freaking out because an iOS beta is out, you know? Maintenance is taking longer than expected, it said on their message. That's actually a little bit of misdirection. So then Friday came. And, you know, I'm supposed to be sending builds out, and I got a few to sign correctly, but still not really, you know, I go to developerapple.com, and it's still not up. So Weird, like, oh, right? wow. You're thinking that's a little yeah. odd. Two days it's now. Unusual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, but whatever. I mean, you know, you can't update apps. You can't make certificates. Can't do anything. Okay. So you know, weekend comes. I I had a few things I want to do over the weekend, but the site was still down on a Saturday, so I kind of just you know did what I could without it and moved along, thinking it's got to be up for Sunday, right? Sunday comes, it's still down. So now I'm getting a little concerned, right? Are you starting to think hack? Uh, I'm starting to think massive incompetence. <laughs> uh, just because their history with web services is questionable at best. And finally, what was it? Sunday night or Sunday afternoon Pacific time. They come out with this, um, this, I don't know, how would you categorize it? Kind of an admittal? Yeah. Well, they, yeah. it's interesting how Apple works because really before they even post anything official on their website, they leaked it to a few, like the uh, Wall Street Journal. You know, they leaked it, like they, yeah, which is so journalists. It's so yeah. we- they're so weird as a company. Like, why would your first response not be to just you know go at it direct? Why link it through the? Why leak it through the press? Well, what's interesting is that even the leaks. So we we should back up a little bit. There was a compromise, right? The service was compromised, and right. information quote may have been compromised as well yeah usernames likely but maybe not passwords addresses but perhaps yeah. address yeah they're still figuring it out but they're not sure and 
what's interesting is that, okay, that's a big deal, but that's not a huge deal, right? That's not nobody can update their apps quality. Um, and actually, Marco Arment, my favorite person, had probably, I would think, the only rational analysis of this is that for them to be down this long, it can't just be a little bit of developer data. And this is pure conjecture on my part as well. You know, their whole system is based on keys. You have a key for Game Center, you have a key for push notifications, you have a key for distribution, a key for development. You can literally spend hours generating and managing keys when you're doing a new app. I'm not wondering if either the the web service that links to the keys and helps you distribute them was compromised, or if somehow someone actually comp- managed to compromise their key, their distribution key, or something. Oh, that would be key. really big. And I, I could be wrong. They could just be really proactive about developer data. And the other thing is we'll probably never know. I don't know. Actually, you know, there, somebody's going to want to take credit for it. Well, a researcher did. Yeah, yeah. But that's not been verified. He says right. he only targeted Apple itself and didn't go for third parties. Right. Yeah, some people were drawing conspiracies because the Ubuntu forums were also hacked this weekend. I just don't think they're the same person. I don't think that's related. I, <laughs> I mean, the reason I think it's something a bit more severe is because it is now Monday, opening of business. You know, it's it's almost one o'clock Eastern time, New York time. It is well past opening of business, California time. We this is unheard of for them to have an outage that goes into into you know from a Thursday to a Monday. Well, they say in order to prevent a security threat like this from happening again, we've com- we're completely overhauling our developer systems, updating but our server software, mean, right? and rebuilding our mean- entire database. But that so that could mean, and I don't want to be alarmist here. I come tomorrow morning or, or this evening today, everybody has to regenerate their keys, and we're literally going to spend a sol- every iOS developer is going to spend a solid day regenerating keys. Oh man, that service is going to be so clunky when it's while well, everybody's doing right. that. And then when you go to update your apps with the new keys, you're going to be looking at unprecedented wait times, right? You're going to be looking at just ridiculous um, backlog just because of the volume. Now, to their credit, if your iOS developer account was going to expire, they've automatically extended you so that they don't pull your app from the store. Because you can't even log in to manage your contracts or check out your your sales figures or anything. Oh, wow. So you're not even getting, you don't even get a snapshot of how sales are doing. I'm told that some people who are using third-party clients or the mobile app are doing it, are able to get the data. I couldn't get it when I tried to just navigate with Chrome wow. to the page. Wow. Wow, that's really bad. Man, they are screwed. You know, I, I, I almost wonder if it isn't anything as major just because Apple's systems are like from the 90s, um, the early 90s at that. Like before uh, a lot of web pages were dynamic, they were creating some interesting solutions for that. And I think they still run a lot of it on that. So they might literally be rebuilding onto something brand new. Imagine that. What if they're rebuilding no, I, off I, of web I, objects? I really want that to be true. Well, okay, so... Let's separate this. Apple is using something called web objects, which is ancient. And uh, there, there's a reason the industry moved away from web objects, right? Um, it was Java v. Web objects, and Java definitely won. Just as a point of reference, the last stable release, the last time it was updated, was on September 15th, 2008. Right. <laughs> and that was an really that, update. <laughs> that's. So, the, so there's two aspects here. The fact that the technology is so old, and sure, I'm sure they do their own It updates, actually came right? from Next. Right. 
mean, granted, Apple probably updates it internally and handles it that way. So I bet they don't. I bet that's well, maybe what don't. this guy took advantage of. I mean, here's the issue. If there is, and I know it's far-fetched, and I know that it, it shouldn't really be that possible, but if there was a distribution key compromise or a push notification key compromise, I don't see how we get away with not re-signing all our applications. Now, if this is just an issue of the database was compromised and so developers are going to get a bunch of spam phone calls and spam email and spam physical mail, why bring the whole service down and stop updates? Right, and basically bring the App Store to a halt. They are going to rebuild it from the ground up on really Ruby on Rails. Extreme. You couldn't, you couldn't do that in parallel. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe ripping well, down the service yeah. seems really extreme if yeah. it was just because most developers aren't hiding where they are. In fact, you're putting your company name up there and be like, "Come, you know, email us, call us, whatever." It's all just speculation. But you got to wonder if maybe they weren't already planning to do this, or maybe the flaw is inherent in web objects. I don't know. I, I'm I'm filled with some deep concerns that this is more than just a normal website compromise. That this is a serious um, a serious system level issue. But I could be wrong. We'll find I mean, out. Maybe. Yeah. I I don't. Well, we'll know if they tell. Yeah. I mean, yep. If they make you regenerate your keys, you, you have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, I mean, perhaps they can do it on their end. And one good thing about their system, it's so close that they could theoretically solve this problem without your intervention. Hmm. But it's, it's interesting. And you got to figure that Apple's a pretty big target. Pretty big. Pretty, pretty big target, right? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some pink slips from this. I mean, honestly. Yeah. It's just business. Well, well, whoever decided that we should just keep using web objects indefinitely. Got um, first all. Probably. And now he's gone, and now they're rebuilding it. I mean, I, you were making fun saying Ruby on Rails, and I think that's actually a bad option for them. But, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for them to go see their buddies at Microsoft and be like, yo, we're running a big enterprise here. Hook us up. Like, it would be like cats laying with dogs, but honestly, that's the kind of caliber they're at, right? Like Java EE, something enterprise. Maybe they could just put it all in a big Google spreadsheet. No. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. All right. All right. Okay. Well, we'll find out. I guess what happens next week. We'll probably have a little better idea. Well, I, I, so I'm expect I'm expecting an email all clear from them soon. You were yeah. expecting to be online this morning. I was expecting. Yeah, I would wake up at seven this morning. Yeah. Like, all right, we're to go. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Because I have my meeting right after this, where I get to explain this to people Here, who are here's sure. A, here's a, here's another thing to watch for: is when it comes back online, is it in like massively reduced, um. Uh, uh, functionality. So that's what's worrying me. Why can't they just put up the app submission and update section? Well, they say they, they say they're rebuilding the database. Maybe this new app, maybe the new uh, app they're writing for it has certain database. I don't know. I mean, if they're rebuilding the database. So, the, so then the question is, how how deeply coupled is everything to itself, right? Yeah, like, right. How, is it if you compromise one vector, you've now managed to compromise them all? I mean, if, it must if they shut the whole thing off. That, that's what I'm saying. For the whole thing to be down, yeah, it's yeah. got to be more than just you know, membership files. And uh, you developers just get to uh, get to enjoy the uh, the uh, fruits of their failure. Yeah. So that sucks. I, I'd be really interested to see exactly what happened, if that ever comes out. Like, what was The responsible happened? thing would be to disclose, so that way people could learn from it, but we'll see. 
well, to warn anybody else using web objects. The thing is, they have such a bad cloud image. They have such a bad image for their uh, online services-based stuff that they're, you know, they're probably in this spot where they don't really want to draw a lot of attention to it because they're already licking their wounds over iCloud. But, but it's funny, though, because when iCloud went bad, the first thing they did is they went to, yo, Amazon, yo, Microsoft, help us. And, and particularly Microsoft did, right? I mean, they, they, they ended up using what was going to become Azure. I, th- I think you have that backwards. They launched on Azure. They launched Azure, right? Yeah, and then they, they knew they couldn't do it because it, it was iTunes that was having problems, right? And then they then they, they switched knew, yeah. iCloud over to their own Azure. their own data center. Uh, but I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world? I mean, they're already buddy buddy with them for them just to say. I don't think it's an infrastructure. Help us out. I don't think it's an infrastructure thing. You know, you Apple too. They software pro- thing. well, they probably want to own that whole stack. They probably want to own all of that system because it's a key part well, of their iOS platform. You're probably right, but it's really not a core competency of theirs. Right. This is this like, is what continues to be their problem. I, I almost feel like if they just sucked it up and went with like .NET or Java, they would not have all these problems. If Google and Apple would have managed to stay buddy-buddy and not turn against each other, they would make the craziest, strong... I mean, they could they could move the market in any direction they wanted together if they were like when, well, when iOS it, I mean, first launched, they were like the best of buds. Eric's, yeah. Eric Schmidt came up on stage and gave Jobs a big man hug that was totally awkward. And like mm-hmm. they were like buddies, they were like full on buddies. And like iOS and Google were going to work together. And and then you know you had Amazon on on the, on the tertiary there that you know was your products and services, and you could use it on this. And they, these guys could have ruled the techno universe, but they just couldn't get along. I mean, even now when it comes to scalability in cloud, Google's got that. That's that's in their DNA, and Apple just doesn't have it. So two things: Alex is pointing out the web objects can and is primarily done in Java these days. So what I'm saying, Java, I mean Java the platform. I mean Java EE, right? So the whole Oracle stack. That is a good uh, distinction. What was the other point? Oh, and, and, you know, to be fair, me and Chris are doing a lot of armchair, uh, you know, strategy here, right? Obviously, at that scale, it's not that simple. There's a, there's a lot of things to oh, consider. Yeah. yeah. But it looks like that the only reason they're using web objects is because they own it and they made a decision a long time ago and never wanted to invest. That's always the thing, isn't it? I mean, don't you and always I, go into these places and they've got yeah. this technical debt that they've invested so many years into. Sometimes maybe they even own the technology and they just don't want to have to do anything. They don't want to reinvent it because they feel like they've spent that money. They spent that time. They fought that battle. I mean, so the nice thing is the apps that are currently on the store seem to still be working. Yeah. To my knowledge, you can still do in-app purchases, things like that. So it's really just if you were updating, you had a problem. Huh. Well, hopefully nobody has any seriously major uh, uh, break the uh, break the bank bugs that make their app look horrible that they needed updated. Imagine, yes, if, well. imagine if you had released a, a code journal with a horrible bug in it that you people were like, hey, your application's awesome or it's awful. I hate you. I, I want a refund. And you couldn't update it. That would be you would be so mad right now. Because you would feel like it was their fault that you're getting a bad rep. So, you know, I got a solution for you. You want me to fix this? Kill the App Store? Firefox OS, baby. Going to kill the App Store. Firefox OS is not going to reinvent the App Store. No, 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 no. It's going to kill the App Store. Yeah, this is just madness. This is just really... Mozilla has just posted another video about Firefox OS targeted at app developers. The clip explains a bit how and why distribution will work in a world... Without app stores. Why are you showing an iPhone 3 with Safari and not the iPod app? I guess VentureBeat uh, just... 
got confused. VentureBee is like, well, I got a lot of photos of iPhones, and I know the I know what the Firefox logo looks like. You know, it's funny is they're shipping Firefox phones. I could have gotten a picture of. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like weird it's, lazy. It's like stock stock art or something. Uh, they say yeah, in a, in a so, sense with Firefox OS, we made app discovery as easy as browsing the web, and we give you very good reasons to brush up on mobile optimized websites you already have on the web. So they're going to focus and feature on mobile on web, web apps. Yeah, apps. Yeah. So they're going to have not an app store, but like a web highlights place. I feel like that didn't work once. It hasn't worked for Chrome. Yeah. And it really just hasn't worked for the web in general. It just hasn't worked in general. It really hasn't. And I, I would, yeah. I mean, last week I was all the Firefox OS guy, but this is silly. I mean, and as yeah. just somebody who's used the web for a very, well, since the actual web existed, uh, I'll tell you a lot of people have tried stuff like this. And it has never worked, and I don't think we'll work for at least five years. But let me go over to my uh, iGoogle page. Oh wait, no. Oh, I just yeah. What, what, I, what was it? The my Yahoo page as well. Yeah, that, that went awesome. I guess what I am really worried about is the future for these Firefox OS and Ubuntu Touch devices is a completely carrier bastardized version of them, where they'll come preloaded. They're they're going to be targeted at the users who never launch an app store. They're going to be targeted at people who just want. A pretty nice smartphone, yeah. but it's not a crazy smartphone. It's just like don't somewhere pay, between features. Don't want to pay anything at the carrier. You, right. know, you know what this? You know what Firefox OS reminds me of? Ubuntu Edge, a non-starter. Oh, our next story, Ubuntu Edge, and this time I think this is uh, this is a first. Ubuntu Edge is this new super fancy phone, and they're launching it on Indiegogo to fund. Yes, they it. want to make thirty-two million dollars in thirty days. You got to say it. You got to say it like this: thirty-two but million dollars. <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's absolutely. It's Uncle Mark wants. Oh well, they. So when we started the show, they had fifty thousand dollars in funding, and now we are fifty minutes into the show, and they have three hundred thousand dollars in funding. Do you know why? Because I'm trolling the Linux people, and they're finally cost coughing up money. Um. So let's see. They've had four hundred and forty-two of the six hundred dollar backers. They've had eight of the eight thirty, two of the ten thousand. Holy crap! Zero of the eighty thousand. Yeah, I don't Man, think... a $10,000 phone. So this Ubuntu Edge device is uh, pretty slick looking. You, do, do you like the aesthetics of it? I would say that it's resolutionary, yes. Resolutionary. Actually, they don't actually, in the video, they don't actually tell you what the screen is. They say no. they've, they've got requirements for a panel, but they haven't picked a panel. Yeah. They haven't done a lot yet, let's be honest. Yeah, that's very true. It's very pre-production. Uh, yeah, well, this is actually pretty pre-production. I way. normally, I normally have a fad, uh, 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 just kind of like a loose and fast rule that I don't always follow. But one rule I have for Indiegogo and Kickstarter campaigns: if it's hardware, I don't fund it if it's only in render. If they don't have a physical picture yep. of the product, I don't generally fund it because that's usually a bad sign. However, in this case, I decided I think I'm going to fund it. I, I don't uh, know. It, it, only because of if I wasn't. If I wasn't the host of the world's largest Linux podcast, <laughs> I wouldn't do it. But because I do host what is quickly becoming one of the few remaining sources for Linux news, I feel like I should cover it. You know why you're losing sources of Linux news, right? Because people like Mark Shuttleworth keep doing stupid shit. And making people right. want to uh, leave Linux? And go to Mac. So you think this is really uh, bad, huh? I think this is terrible. Is it just Absolutely embarrassing awful. to ask to have your device crap? Here's what I think. This allows Canonical to make a really nice device to show off what the Ubuntu OS is capable of without without having to sort of risk the company on it. 
right? I mean, they are in a large sense risking all of the resources and all of the focus and all of the energy. But financially, this is going to help sort of offset some of that financial risk. Then they get a phone out there. If everything works, if they're able to execute, they get a phone out there running the OS that they can then showcase. They get people writing for it. It's very nice hardware. So you get the enthusiasts, you get the high-end enthusiast who buys this, he makes apps for it. You kind of establish this user base of sophisticated users, and then you go to the carriers. Let's just pump it back. They want you to invest $32 million. They are not willing to make that investment themselves, but they could, theoretically. Well, who? how do you quantify the cost of the entire company focus being shifted to developing this platform? I mean, who knows what the cost of that is? Well, I think we're already seeing the cost on the desktop, aren't we? You haven't even gotten your machine yet. It's going to be wonderful. You just wait. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying that you know, I would gladly pay $600 cash for this phone. If they were, you know, Shipping. put it on the Ubuntu website, pre-order, buy it now, we're going to make this, fine. The fact that they aren't confident enough to risk the company, that they want to do this crowdfunding nonsense, which, you know, I really feel crowdfunding shouldn't be for large companies mm. or established brands, right? Like, not to slip into gaming, but every time Double Find does a crowdfunding campaign, I want to vomit. I don't know if it's fair to call Canonical a big company. I mean, I think it's have fair se- to call them a big brand. They have several hundred weight. employees. Yeah, so it's big enough, right? Okay. I I just think this is really disingenuous. I think this is a way to, to make a big risk, but if it goes badly, they'll be able to retreat back to the desktop. $32 million. $32 million. Which goes to show you that they're, they're literally trying to get the crowdfunding to fund this whole project. Or most of it, right? Where did this come from? Like, why? Just boom, out of nowhere. $32 million. But this is just for the Edge device. Does this kind of put in perspective how expensive it is to enter this business or what? Well, you got to bribe carriers, that stuff. Oh, I'm just in a foul mood today. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Apple. I blame Apple for that. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's an interesting approach. I mean, they've already raised $300,000, so... Okay, so... Uh, Mr. Mango says it will fail. What happens if it fails? Oh, how embarrassing! How embarrassing is that? And uh, what does that mean? Thing. Does that does that change anything? Probably not, right? Probably doesn't actually change anything. But it should. If this fails, right? I think that's a pretty clear sign from the community that no one wants this. You know what I mean? Indeed. Listen, no one wants a Windows phone. Windows is a desktop operating system. No one wants an Ubuntu phone. So stop trying to make that happen. And focus on a way to monetize the desktop and your server offerings. I think they would come back to you and say, we've been trying that since 2007 and we haven't made it work yet. And they haven't been trying it the right way. If they want to invest $32 million, go buy System76. I know. Like, that was seriously right? like, like what I was... Straight up. Right? Become a first-party reseller. Go go get the best brand out there that sells your equipment now. Make them right. an offer they can't refuse. And then just sell them directly. But maybe and, they... and if 5076 won't play ball with you, open your own and push them out of business, right? Just bleed them on price. Their, their margins have to be already so bad that... I mean, just from a business perspective, they would should be dying. They to would sell literally them. at that point become yeah. like Apple 2.0, though. Like they would be, they would be taking a Linux-based operating system, putting their own yeah. UI and display server on top of it, taking Unix their own hardware. Thing. But you know, they talk about the reason they wanted mirrors. They want to own the stack. They want to control direction. They want to be able to make things happen the way they want them. Well, the way you do that is by also owning the hardware. I mean, there Retail is a, the hardware. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I gosh. Um, I don't think they're going to do that ever. I don't think they're. I think. I think the play is if mobile doesn't work out, then they. Then they. At the end of the day, they throw up their hands and say, "Ah, oh, you can't get rich 
uh, uh, selling Linux and they just maybe move on to a cloud services company or something. Which is another viable business model. Uh, I just feel at this point mobile is not for them, right? But, it would seem like mobile is not viable for anyone but Samsung and Apple. Apple or Samsung. That yeah. doesn't seem tenable. It does not seem like we can allow that to last. Now, uh, I'll, you know, Mark Shuttleworth has an argument against this. Do you want to get into this? Oh, let's do it. Uh, now, this is a little bit of repeat for uh, folks who listen to the last 270, but it's, it's really it's, – it's, it's quite short. I'll play uh, – Mark Shuttleworth thinks that their advantage are over Firefox OS and Tizen and things like that. Um, and then our independence you know, strategically is important as well. Uh, there's a very uh, uh, deep dependence in Mozilla on Google, um, which for carriers is uncomfortable. Um, there's a, a very deep dependence in Tizen on Samsung, and that's also uncomfortable. So uh, it's a complicated landscape, but we feel like we have a good story, and, and the response has been very encouraging. So he's basically saying, look, we're the independent third party. We're going to let you take and our Because the carriers, so, they, they, that went so well for them when Apple came to call, right? <laughs> well, this is, this is their sale, though. Party. No, no, no. See, canonical sale is you can take our platform and do whatever you want with it, and we'll work out so that it's not fragmented. So the, their pitch is, is we're the platform, you can put your own app store on, you put your own music store, your own video, your vCast service on there, you put your own branding, you know, because Verizon wants the UI to be red, that's a big thing for them, is they want everything red, and you can do all of that, and we will maintain the underlying architecture to make sure that it does not fragment. Well, if that's true, then that's, I mean, going to fail, <laughs> Because Firefox OS phones are definitely going to be cheaper. And the people who are willing to put up with that are going to go for cheaper, if not free. I disagree. See, the, one of the things they were doing with Ubuntu OS is they're making it very easy to run on existing in-market Android devices. Like, even use the Android hardware drivers from those phones. So the carriers can take existing stock, load their own OS. It's going to, it won't even be called Ubuntu Touch. It's going to be called Vcast OS, right? And it's going to be, they'll, they'll flash it with the, with the latest Vcast OS. Oh, so far enough to where they can actually rename it? I don't know. I think, yeah. I mean, that that hasn't been dis- that hasn't been said. But but listening to what Marcus said in these interviews, it um, it does kind of it does kind of here. I'll, I'll just play it real quick. It's- so a core part of our positioning is as a platform that integrates services from the the operators and carriers, um, and that means that it, it it's it's very clear how operators who engage with Ubuntu um, would deliver their own portfolio of content services. Um, and and uh, and capabilities. Um, those awful. allow them to differentiate without fragmenting the platform. They also allow them to to, to build a deeper relationship with the end user than they do if they're simply a, a pipe uh, for for voice or data. There you go. Oh, so they're trying to set progress back, basically. Fantastic. Now, but the argument for developers would be that they're going to create this common mobile platform that the carriers will eat up. That, will, that allows native apps or HTML5 apps. And the idea would be that you can write it and it'll run on any of those carriers' bastardized versions of the OS. So right, it, it's, but, in theory, yeah, but, would so open up a bigger market to you. The best thing that could happen for developers in this space is that carriers become dumb pipes and mobile data becomes cheaper. Right. Because then you don't have to worry about ridiculous caching mechanisms to avoid using people's data plan. Um, this is just, you know, even if they succeed, they deserve to fail kind of situation. This is a dirty business. They could take less than a third of what they're asking for and probably go buy System76. And, you know, they want to be Apple? Become Apple. Be the boutique high-end laptop vendor. 
Yeah, there is money in laptops still, especially good ones. You know, I know know a lot of folks criticize them for becoming Apple. Those people are very dumb, right? I mean, (laughs) Apple is one of the most successful companies in the world. I would love to be Apple. It's very stupid to think, oh, well, you're not open. Well, the reason that they're doing all this crazy shit is because no one made any money on Ubuntu. Right. right? This is kind of the the Linux folks made their own bed. But let's give them a, a way out that is profitable. Yeah, I I mean, I think – see, I think – I, I, I hear what you're saying, and this is the argument that I made in the Linux Action Show yesterday. But uh, from – just to play devil's advocate, from their point, there's no entry into this market in any other avenue except through the carrier stores. Because if you go through the carriers, then they burden – they carry the burden of marketing, they carry the burden of distribution, and they put it in their storefronts. And they do all of that work. And Even all- if this plan succeeds, what will they have won? They'll have won what? Low-end market share. And no one will know that they're running Ubuntu OS. Well, but they will have created a app platform that is more universal. They can't manage a desktop app platform that gets so little traffic that some of the highest selling apps make about five dollars. You you think they can run a mobile app platform with potentially millions of users? Hmm. Well, the carriers will will front most. Ooh, of that them. evangelist job at Canonical is not looking good. <laughs> no, I think you're uh, <laughs> you're gonna have to look somewhere else. <laughs> Wow. Well, I guess we wait and see because it's all just speculation at this point. This is the episode where we speculate a lot. And I just hate everybody because I have uncomfortable phone calls this week. <laughs> all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, I know you have a pick, but I think we should probably get running. I'll give it a quick yeah. a quick plug. Uh, you have the Dell U24, the ultra LED monitor. Yes, nice I got one. it on sale this weekend. Woot. Nice. Very good, sir. All right. Well, where should people find you throughout the week? They can find me at DominicM.com and do expect an Ubuntu and Apple article. Oh, ho, ho. all right. Very good. Well, we've also got links to our social profiles in the show notes. If you want to follow us throughout the week, you can email the show, coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Don't forget to join us live next week for episode 60, live calls over at jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week. Thank you.